Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. It's great to have your company. Today is the final programme in our Fence Post Turtles series of talks. Our Bible teacher Brian Johnston has been looking at prominent Bible characters from the Old Testament. Fence Post Turtle is someone who's got to where he is without doing anything particular himself. It's been put there. So uh, far we've studied people like that uh, in Joseph, Daniel, Esther, Gideon, David, Moses, Isaiah and last week it was Zerubbabel. Today Brian completes our studies with a look at the life and times of Jacob. So let's hear about him now with Brian. Okay thanks. Perhaps some of the background leading up to the incidents we're going to consider wouldn't go amiss. We're talking about the man Jacob who was born a split second after his twin brother Esau. He emerged literally on the heels of his brother. In fact, he was holding his brother by the heel, a posture which would prove telling and explains why his name translates as the one who takes by the heel. In life, what Esau had, Jacob wanted. In those ancient times, this amounted to what was known as the birthright and the blessing. Both these things belonged to the son who was born first. He received a double portion of his father's inheritance and was given his father's blessing. However, Jacob's mother, Rebekah, during a difficult pregnancy, had been told by God that her younger son would become the greater of the two and would prove to be the one chosen by God. Jacob, the younger, had doubtless learned this information from his mother and with her help tried to make it happen. By a combination of taking unfair advantage and by telling outright lies, Jacob obtained both the birthright and the blessing which would normally have been his older brothers. Of course, this made Esau very angry and it was no longer safe for Jacob to remain at home. What age was he when he ran away from home? It might surprise you to know that simple calculations based on information given in the Bible would easily put him at 77 years of age at this time. He set out on a long journey to the place of his mother's relatives. It would be 20 years before he ever returned to face his brother again. We can only wonder at his state of mind as he tried to put as many miles as possible between himself and home. Was he guilt-ridden? Not proud of what he had done? Or smugly satisfied? Or some combination of all three? He was certainly exhausted, tired enough to lie down on the ground and use a stone for his pillow. When he slept, he dreamed. He dreamt of a ladder reaching up from that place where he now was, reaching up into heaven, in fact. And there were angels going up and down on it, with the Lord himself standing above it and speaking to him as he had spoken to his father and to his grandfather Abraham before him. God was confirming his previous plans, but he was now doing this personally with Jacob. Surprisingly, there was no censure for what Jacob had done, although the means Jacob had used to align himself with God's purpose couldn't possibly have pleased the Lord. It's reassuring that our foolish mistakes don't cancel out all God's plans for us. Jacob woke, startled, declaring with reverence that that very place must be God's house, which was the name he gave to it now, explaining it as being the gate of heaven. It's possible he then went back to sleep, but when he rose early in the morning, he then set up his stone pillow as a memorial stone and ceremonially anointed it with oil. In that way, this stone went from being a pillow to being a pillar. And there, Jacob vowed his commitment to God, 
the first time we hear this from Jacob, as he promised to honour God with his wealth. I don't think this was the ith of negotiation, but was like when cricketer turned missionary C.T. Studd famously said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there's no sacrifice too big for me to make for him. Suppose at this point we use our imagination and imagine that along comes a man with a camel passing by the place where Jacob now was, previously known as Luz. Jacob is still very excited and tells the stranger that this very place is God's house. How do we think the traveller would react? He'd look around at the unremarkable tract of ground with its few scattered stones and say, Where? Jacob would say, Right here, in this place where I slept last night. This is God's house. I've had it revealed to me in a dream. Probably the stranger would take another look around, again seeing nothing, for there was nothing to see, and comparing this with his past acquaintance with religious sights, he would shake his head dismissively and lead his camel away, while muttering under his breath, That's one crazy guy. Well, after a moment's thought, Jacob might have said, I should have expected that reaction. After all, there's nothing to see here. No stunning architecture, no choirs of angels, no sign in the sky. But then he says, but that changes nothing for me, because I've received God's word about this, conveyed in a dream, and I know it to be true. And so from now on, this place will be called Bethel, meaning the house of God. And it's much the same in this present church age. It's easy, still easy, for people to overlook God's house on earth because it's not what they imagine it should be like. But as we now examine more closely Jacob's worshipful response, we see more clearly the things that define God's house on earth in any age. Clearly, Jacob felt respect for God was due in this place of revelation, a place where the Lord had shown himself to be exalted in authority. We see, too, that remembrance of what had taken place would be necessary, marked by the place being set apart as different from any other place, with pillar and oil. What's more, the revelation Jacob had received there was affirmed by Jacob by naming the place in full agreement with what had been shown him. And to all these things, Jacob added his commitment and a promise to give something back to God. These are the striking features of God's house, as presented to us in the story of Jacob, where we've this first mention of the house of God in Scripture. The theme of God's house on earth runs throughout the Bible, and those same features always accompany it. We'll fast forward 20 years now in Jacob's life story. We now find him on his return journey, ready at last, or almost ready, to face up to his brother. Jacob is now married with two wives and eleven sons and vastly wealthy in livestock. Just as he'd had an encounter with angels on the outward journey, so he again was to encounter angels in the homeward direction. At this point, once again, God's invisible world openly touched Jacob's visible world. The encounter here is described with striking brevity. Four Hebrew words report the meeting. The angels of God met him. Yes, it's six words in English, but four in the Hebrew. Jacob then named the place Mahanaim, possibly meaning two camps. He must have seen the camp of angels as a source of comfort to his own camp as he prepared to re-enter the land associated with God's promise. In the Old Testament, the expression, the angels of God, occurs only in Genesis chapter 32 and in Genesis chapter 28. 
Also, Jacob's earlier exclamation, this is the gate of heaven, compares now with his other exclamation, this is the camp of God. In both cases, Jacob interpreted what he had seen before naming it. And in Hebrew, the identical expression is used in naming both places. So obviously, these two passages describing the outward and the homeward journeys are meant to be seen as closely linked. Jacob's glimpse of the angels of God assured him once again of divine protection accompanying him. This reassurance came at a time when Jacob sorely needed it. These visitations of angels remind us that when God's work is involved, the conflict is spiritual, not physical. This was true for Jacob, it was true for Israel, and it's true today. No human effort can be sufficient for these things. Jacob had just seen the angels, and now he sent his own messengers to Esau. Then the strangest thing of all happened. It happened when Jacob was all alone, and at night, and when he was at his lowest point, both geographically and psychologically. We are told that the angel of the Lord came and began to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob was given no option. When someone initiates such a contest, what would a man like Jacob do other than fight back? But why this unequal contest? Was it not because Jacob had struggled lifelong with God's plan or even against God's plan, working it all out for himself as opposed to to surrendering to God's grace? God began to wrestle with him to teach him a lesson. And he now asked him, what is your name? This made Jacob self-aware of his duplicity and deceitfulness. For the last time that he'd been asked that same question, he told his blind father that his name was Esau. Now the all-seeing father of eternity is probing his conscience, and Jacob knows the game is up. When the Lord gives him a dead leg, he yields. The Bible says the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh. He gave him a dead leg so that Jacob couldn't wrestle. And in that moment, he discovered the secret of power with God comes through holding on, not fighting against. He was holding on now to God and not to his brother. The lesson for us here is the same as the lesson the Apostle Paul later taught. When I am weak, then I am strong. But it's time to fast forward again from Genesis chapter 32 to chapter 48 and the final scene of Jacob's life. The man who deceived his brother has himself been deceived again. His sons had spun him the tale that his favourite son was dead, but in reality they'd sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. With God's help there, Joseph rises from obscurity to power and is able to be reunited with his father for the last 17 years of his father's life. God had ensured Joseph was in the right place at the right time to be the ideal candidate to administer a rationing plan for the Egyptians and their neighbours. So Joseph's brothers, who travelled to Egypt to buy food there for their aged father, came face to face with Joseph. After testing them to see that they changed, Joseph at last discloses his identity to them, and he freely forgives them. Of course, none of this happens before the brothers have unwittingly bowed down to Joseph and so fulfilled his boyhood dream. So Jacob and the whole family end up relocating to Egypt, and this brings us to the very touching scene recounted in Genesis chapter 48, with three generations around Jacob's bed as he lies dying. 
Jacob reviews the key events of his life in retrospect, an unsolicited audience with God at Bethel, an unsurpassed sorrow at his wife's passing, and an unsuspected joy, that of now seeing his son Joseph, as it were, alive from the dead, and what's more, his grandchildren. When selecting the highlight of Jacob's faith, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21 selects this occasion in Genesis 48. The greatest thing in Jacob's life, from God's point of view, was his faithful commitment to the revelation concerning God's house back in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob's strength of conviction in response is seen in his asking his son's help to keep his side of the deal, namely to have him buried not in the foreign land of Egypt, but in the land bound up with the promise of God. Yes, Jacob was dying in faith, remaining true to the vision of God's house. In his own earlier words he would confess, I am not worthy. He understood that he was a true fence-post turtle. God and God alone had brought him, finally, from wheeling and dealing to kneeling in God's presence. Now, if you'd like to request a transcript booklet containing all the talks in this series, please tell us and ask for the title Fence Post Turtles. If you have a pen and paper to hand, I'm about to give you our contact details, and they've changed from the usual address, so please make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio podcast versions. And if you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com, you can browse the list there and you can find what you're looking for. Thanks once again for the privilege of your company today. And next week we start a brand new series of talks, so if you can, please do join us. Until then, very best wishes from Brian, from David, our singers and me, John. Goodbye and may God richly bless you.